Hey everybody, this is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. So, I wanted to talk about um, anime and traveling on this Sunday Edition. If you heard me on my last episode on Maggie, um, on the first two seasons of Maggie, I talked about the kind of way they make Maggie feel like it should and the kind of authenticity they stick to in that show and they really do their best to veer away from, like, inserting Japanese culture just to allow the audience to, under, to like, resonate with a Middle Eastern kind of cultural feel of that show. I also talked briefly about what it's like to go to the Medina, to, like, stay in and go to the Medina in Fez and how that feels... When you've seen Aladdin and you see the opening musical number of Aladdin, which came up because Maggie is about a fictionalized version of Atlanta, of, of Atlanta, of Aladdin that you're not, that's not the Disney one everyone thinks of. So I, I'm also taking a business trip, so I'm recording um, at least a third day edition, um, pretty early like a normal third day show pretty early probably right after I record this um because I won't be here to do it the night of and release it the way I usually do but the long and short of it is is that I live in America and every every culture every country has its own way it treats anime and its own relationship with anime. For example, um, France has a much older, the country of France has a much older, more well-acquainted relationship with anime because they've had it for longer. They've had anime kind of in the mainstream in the kind of since the 70s, whereas where it really started to ramp up for us is in like from the late 80s to the early aughts is where it really started to ramp up for America. Um, or there's even examples of shows airing in, in certain countries first before, um, before really even Japan gets them. So Lupin, Lupin the Third. Part 5, I believe, aired in Italy first because it was such an Italian-centric show because it takes place in, I believe, Monaco. Um, or some, some, like, fictionalized version of Monaco. Like, a small... It takes place in a small Italian country and they wanted to show it in Italy first because that gave it... That gave that show more gravitas and felt more somatically appropriate for that show. Um, there's actually something like that happening this season, and that's the um, I believe it's of uh, Fenna and the and the pirate Fenna the Pirate Princess. I think that's what it's called. It's something the Pirate Princess. It actually we're getting those episodes, or we started getting those episodes before they even come out in Japan because 
those episodes are co-produced by Crunchyroll, an American company, um, and uh, Adult Swim. So we get those episodes before they air in Japan. There's also things like Space Dandy was one of the very first simulcast shows that like literally was like day and date on each dot on each side of the broadcast window. Um, but really one of the things that I want to talk about is how is how you encounter anime in a culture that's not your own when you're traveling or even in a place that you isn't like your hometown because um, they don't do it so much. I haven't seen it so much lately, but Crunchyroll used to do these United States maps and sometimes even world maps of like what's the most popular show in every country it's in. And um, you'd see like, you know, I think they did one when Keijo was out and like there was part of the country where like Keijo was just really popular. Or um, something like that. But when I've been not only I've not only I'm taking a business trip on Tuesday, the Tuesday after this, the Tuesday before this, um, after this episode airs. But I've been all over the world. And it's a business trip I'm taking to Chicago. It's not complicated. But I've been all over the world. I've been to Morocco. I've been to. Um, Spain, I've been to Italy, I've been to France, um, eventually I will go to Japan, um, I've been to Canada, so I've had the opportunity to, like, see just straight up the billboards everywhere, and an interesting thing about France as a country is they demand everything be in French, (laughs) because... The best way I can explain, like, the French mindset is, is, like, imagine a European version of um, of the American mindset of, like, we're the best, everything should go our way. That is, in, lo- in many ways, France. And lots of people don't like the French because they are so, like, our culture is the highest culture in the world. Um... And in France, when you see, like, a billboard for a show or a movie, oftentimes it's an anime movie, not necessarily a show, you see it all in French. And, like, the title is wildly longer than it was in English or probably Japanese. And just the treatment is different. The placement that's given to the film is different because France has a much less judgmental relationship publicly with art. They're more accepting of like, oh no, this like animation is just art at its core. And we, that should be respected. This is a creative endeavor. Of course, we're going to give this like prime, prime, um, prime placement in a Parisian subway, you know, high traffic station. And so that's, one of the ways that it gets that that stuff gets treated differently there. Also, there's things like the Rose of Versailles, which takes place in France. Um, if you go to Italy, there's lots of weird Dragon Ball Z stuff. There's lots of there's a lot a lot of like what they call tabachis, which are little like almost like corner stores, almost like little bodegas. 
but smaller. Um, that uh, with a outside of the Tabachi is just painted with um, Jigen and Lupin from Lupin the Third. I have a couple pictures of that in my um, in my camera roll from what, last time I was in Italy, and. Canada, what's interesting about Canada is its rule is its rules around the entertainment industry state that if you produce something in Canada, I think like ninety percent of the production team needs to be Canadian. So that means that if something was dubbed in Canada, a lot of the other production work was done in Canada. And so they they can treat it much more like a local product because it's kind of forced to be. Um, and, of course, anime is different in its home country of Japan. In America, unfortunately, anime still lots of times gets treated like a genre of media, where it's really a medium of media. I actually wrote a medium to make entertainment in and it's got some odd quirks like fan service and stuff like that but that stuff does exist in other forms in other forms of um in other mediums of creating entertainment it's just maybe not as pronounced so when we look at anime in america a lot of it is done by only a few companies Whereas you look at anime in, say, Japan, and those companies are different. They have different approaches to things. Um, in London, for example, one of the main distributors of anime was a company called Madman Entertainment. Um, there's also Manga UK. And if you look at old ads from Manga UK, they handle, like, Ghost in the Shell very differently than, say, America would. And it's just, it's an interesting... If you ever have the opportunity, it's an interesting, like, recontextualization of shows. For example, this is a great example, actually. A country like America can put out a show like Tanya the Evil without much, like, uh, hand-wringing or, like, it can present it pretty straight. And it leaves it up to the audience of like, hey, um, these guys are definitely Nazis, but we're not going to say it out loud because the show never said it out loud because America, because Japan has, and I said this to a friend before, Japan has a weird fetishistic um, relationship with Nazis and Nazi paraphernalia. A, because they are immediately xenophobic whenever possible, but also, um... As a country, not as, like, individual people. But, um, also, there wasn't the same kind of, like, contextualization of what happened in World War Two, mainly because America dropped, went, went actually nuclear on them, not once, but twice. And so, there's been no work done to, like, say, like, hey... We did some fucked up shit to you, but Nazis bad. <laughs> and so they're 
attitude about Nazi imagery and about invoking even the concept of the Nazis is very different than, say, Germany. I would bet that if Tiny the Evil came out at all in Germany, it's like it's perceived in a very different way. And whatever company had to handle it in Germany was like, we have to walk on eggshells. This little girl, the Nazi, that's not good. Whoa. And that's a, that's like a cultural skin. That's like a cultural divide division point between Japan and Germany and even America and Germany is that they, Germany has done a lot of contextualization around Nazis, and I believe they still have a Nazi party, but, like, <laughs> if, like if Nazi party won anything, they, like, <laughs> it would get, it would get real dark real fast. <laughs> but, um, the contextualization and the, like, apologetic nature around still World War II and the actions of Hitler and the Nazis would cause them to see a story, uh, like a treatment like Tanya, like Tanya Tagorachov in a very different light and cause them to present her in a very different light. At the end of the day, the show is the show and you can only do so much massaging to um, change that, but they would do they would do a lot of massaging around the promotional materials because like like yeah this show the real edge war like deep think idiot kid from middle school show but it's also there's a reason that they probably wouldn't let that just like sit there and present itself the way it wants to present itself because they feel and they kind of know they need to do that work constantly because they were the perpetrators of, like, some seriously heinous shit. Like, yes, America dropped two two A-bombs on one country, but also they did some serious heinous shit in the, in World War II, the Nazis, and, like, it should never be forgotten. It should never be, like, fetishized in the way that um what's it called that um Tanya the Evil is clearly doing that and if there's anybody who would catch it it would probably be Germany <laughs> um and also I I think it's really interesting how this happens this happens in small little ways and also big ways. So, for example, um, World Flipper came out. And if you're not playing World Flipper, what it is is it's a action RPG pinball adventure. Um, a couple of these have come out lately. But world thing with World Flipper is it's also a Japanese anime gotcha game where you collect the waifus, you play pinball with the waifus, you evolve them the whole line. And the character in this um, game, who's like a quote-unquote five-star character, and they did something that's pretty common for games that come over to from Japan to America, because Japan has different cultural feelings about like 
presenting it's sexualized younger seeming female characters than America does. Um, if you've listened to the if you listen to the um, Uncanny Curve podcast, a couple of weeks ago I released a clapcast that was essentially me, Larry, and my friend Lauren's um, conversation about this show called Cuties. And it's like the, incom- the like controversy that surrounded Cuties because Cutie was like, took a very real understandable stance of like, yo, 13-year-old girls think about sex, surprise. And, like, it used real children and, like, the hackles went up, like, all around the media sphere. But what I said at the time is that anime and anime culture is one of the few places that's like, hey, kids think about sex, kids, like, kids get horny too. And it just presented and left there on the table for, like, you to face in all of its honesty. But also that's because it has a culture that allows the, like, fetishization of young girls. And if you've ever noticed, whenever someone gets caught with, um, with, uh, porn of underage, of, of minors, the, the, like, hammer comes down hard on them. And that's the other side of that coin, corn, of that, um, corn, of that coin, is that it, it's allowed to exist in art, in, in the form of art, as long as it's not referenced off of a real thing. As long as it's, like, just, like, the, the artist expression of that fetishization, not, like, oh, and I have a tub in my basement full of reference photos I got illegally off of the, out of the universe that's creepy as hell. Um, give you an example, um, the head, the guy who created Veroni Kenshin went down for, um, having underage, um, having underage material, the creator, the writer for Act Age, not the artist, but the writer for Act Age, also went down for, I think, something more severe, but also that. And when you're presenting a character who's underage and has anything sexualized about them at all in America, there tends to be some, like, wraparound censorship, like, hey, put bike pants on that little girl. Hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's a character in World Flipper who was very clearly wearing a scantily clad thong swimsuit bottom under a transparent skirt. No one would have really known that. Like, people would have known because the internet is a thing. But if you were new to this game, you wouldn't have noticed anything if they'd done the censorship and editing and adding of the bike shorts correctly. But they didn't... Like, the strip of fabric didn't extend up past the transparency of the skirt. So you still see the bathing suit. Like, they don't actually hide anything. And now they are, like, caught red-handed, straight up altering art for the American audience, which gamers notoriously hate because censorship is bad, which is not wrong. But that is the perception of, fairly, of 
the presentation of a potentially underage character in a scantily clad bikini bottom. Is there... Do little girls wear bikinis? Absolutely. If you've been to a beach, you know that's true. They sell, like, bikinis for preschoolers in a way that probably they shouldn't. But nobody wants to think about that. And people want to be careful about presenting that in this country where they may not raise such a stink because as long as no one was hurt in the process of making it in a country like Japan, but as soon as somebody's hurt in the process of making that stuff, they make sure to put that person away. They make sure to go after that person at the very least to like end that person's career because they are aware of like, okay, we can... We can have artistic rendering, but we can't we can't have the real thing where real humans were harmed. And I just I find the presentation of media, any media, but especially anime, because this is an anime podcast and I am a serious anime fan, in other cultures to be really interesting. You can go um one of my favorite things to do, and this is probably where I'll leave it, is you can go to a bunch of sites on the internet, or you can just type into Google, and you can find alternate country. You can find different countries' versions of movie posters from around the world. Like you can find like every version of the Ocean's Eleven of the Ocean's Eleven movie poster for all over the world. You can find like every version of the Akira movie poster from all over the world, and this gives you an idea of how they're presenting these things. So. The um, example I'll give you here, all the ad, all the advertising for um, for uh, what's it the um, not the Spider-Man movie the um the vet the first Venom movie in China um depicted Venom as like a loving, do- doting boyfriend character in a weird rom-com like it's still fucking rah, creepy black goop Venom. But he's, like, carrying his girlfriend's bags, or he's, like, sitting with her at a table. It's very funny. And it gets even funnier when you see the context of the actual movie. And what they simply did is they picked up on the weird romantic comedy scenario of Venom, of the character of Venom and the character who he's, like, um, attached to. I forget the actor's name, but... And they have, like, little hilarious arguments, like, Venom is disappointed that he didn't, like, step up to the plate with a girl and they have a 10-minute argument, like, outside of a restaurant. And they picked up on that, whereas America pitches the, knowing knowing the audience of comic book fans in America, most likely, they pitch the like, serious comic book angle of that movie. And people leave having seen a hilarious rom-com between a goo monster who lives in a person's body and that person. <laughs> For a not insignificant part of that movie. Um, and on that note, if you like this podcast, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is a more review-centric show. I have a conversation and give my thoughts on... Um, a show or film, um, usually anime. Well, every once in a while, I've been known to veer off 
veer off the beaten path and talk about like Queen's game or something. Um, but um, Sunday is more metatextual. It's more fan based. It's more uh, or, or uh, fandom based or industry based or just something I'm thinking about like um, this episode. So if you like that, definitely go subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And I will talk to you on Thursday.